1: Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm sorry we didn't have a programme after the first day of Pakistan's test match against England. The first day of that Old Trafford test match was enough play, uh, so we decided to do a, a roundup of the first two days. You can hear in the background, perhaps, uh, a clarinet being played. Simon Mann is back in his hotel room at Old Trafford. Uh, it's probably a Pakistani celebrating a, a fantastic day, Simon. Oh, it's been a brilliant day's
0: cricket, really interesting, and that, that final session... Today, I think, was the, the best session of the summer so far. It was real cut-and-thrust test match cricket. Pakistan with a new ball making incisions into England's top order. And then Pope and Root, I mean, to cling on using all their skill and both you know playing in different ways. Pope being positive and Root trying to trust his defence and then the sucker punch getting out to Yasir Shah with about half an hour to go. So Pakistan very much on top after two days of this test match.
1: Yes, that's right. 234 runs ahead of England and England reeling with 92 for four. I suppose a few talking points. Firstly, the excellence of Ashan Masood, the batsman, the first uh, overseas opener to make a hundred in a test match for for quite some time in England, um, and and just the determination. Actually, I bet it meant a lot to him because he of course uh, spent a lot of his youth in England, and actually spent a lot of his time around St John's Wood and Lord's cricket ground, uh, living with his parents. I think also went to Durham University, so you know he was kind of very familiar with with England. And I remember on his last tour here, he really struggled. He was so determined, and I remember talking to him, and it, you know. He was just so desperate to to do well in the country that he knew so well. And yet, uh, Jimmy Jimmy Anderson in particular had him on toast. Uh, This Test match, it's been tables turned. Although Anderson bowled well at him early on, he he weathered that difficult storm and, and actually played the most superb innings.
0: I thought he played absolutely brilliantly today. A bit more sketchy yesterday. Lots of runs behind square on the offside at one stage in his innings. Yesterday, 66% of his runs behind square on the offside, which is fair enough. You you get them where you can. And, of course, he was reprieved twice by Josh Butler as well on on 45, a drop catch and a miss stumping. And those problems continued for Butler today behind the stumps. But Massoud, I thought, was, was superb today. And as... His innings progressed. He became more fluent, and he attacked Don Bess at one stage when Pakistan were running out of wickets. And to score 156 against England's attack in those conditions, nearly half the side's total was a brilliant effort. I think we all came thinking that it was going to be Baba Azam's day today because he played magnificently on the, on the first day, but it was it was Shan Masood who you know, outshone him completely on a, on another largely overcast day at Old Trafford. In not easy batting conditions. He struggled yesterday against the the off spin of Don Best, but today far more fluent overall against both pace and spin. And he's given Pakistan a really solid base in this test match. He had 326. He doesn't look a huge score, but the ball's already spinning. Pakistan have got a decent pace attack as well, and England, presumably, unless something miraculous happens tomorrow, are going to have to, to bat last, chasing some sort of target in the fourth innings. And you know, that could be problematical for them.
1: It's been a day of uh, three very different sessions. England really, you feel, having the upper hand on on the first session, getting a couple of... kids obviously getting Babar out early on the second morning after that lovely fluent innings he played on the first day in the second session, Pakistan with Shah Massoud, and they, they, they were rejuvenated by an unlikely figure, Shadab Khan, who you think of more really as a spin bowler, but coming into bat at number seven. And I thought, you know, often you, you find with uh, subcontinental sides, Indian sides, Pakistan sides, that you know, they have lots of talent, but they don't necessarily... Apply real attention to detail uh, as the, the more sophisticated teams who have lots of analysts and data uh, at their disposal are. Uh, and and yet, here, the brilliant running between the wickets that really got the game going again for Pakistan. And, uh, you know, in, inevitably, when you get those quick singles taken, bowlers get annoyed because, you know, bowlers like Anderson and, and Broad like to build up pressure on batsmen, and quick singles is the most annoying thing of all. It's worse than bowling a long hop, in a way, but then, of after that, when you get to conceding those quick singles, then the bowlers do sort of just lose concentration momentarily and they bowl that long up, and that gets dispatched. And suddenly that partnership of over 100 really turned the tables on England in that second session, which the faster bowlers then really capitalised on in that last session.
0: Yeah, it was a really important tactic for Pakistan. <clears throat> and, you know, we saw it early on, early on in the match, looking to run those Quick singles and it, and it worked for them you, you felt there was a run out just around the corner. I mean, you, you've often felt in the past with Pakistan that a run out is close, but there was a real purpose to the tactic. Before, it's, it's sometimes seen a bit chaotic between the wickets. But this was a, a really specific tactic, and it, and it worked for them, as you say. And there hasn't been a run-out. I mean, there were a couple of near things, and if England hit the stumps on a couple of occasions, they might well have a, a affected a run-out. But what it did is it kept the board ticking over when the runs weren't coming, and it also put the pressure back on the fielding side. The other issue today were, was England's tactics straight after lunch. This is the situation. We're five overs away from the second new ball, England, of course, were desperate to get to the new ball. It feels like a new ball pitch, and we saw that when Pakistan bowled. So England were desperate to get there. Morning session, only 48 runs in two hours. England were excellent; they were right on it. Took three wickets, and so at lunchtime they were they had the upper hand. But then straight after lunch, England bowled Bess and Root. It released the pressure. Root went around the park a little bit, not massively, but went around the park a bit, and they scored. 27 runs in five overs, so five and over after lunch, and it also meant that when the new ball was available, two players sort of got back in after lunch, and they were you know, they'd been playing with some freedom. Shadam, Shadab sort of has this sort of chaos theory to batting anyway, mm. and it, and it really worked for them. And that I thought was the, almost like the turning point of the day for Pakistan. It, it felt like just a small session, but those five overs just seemed to release the pressure. And then when the new ball immediately didn't have an effect and suddenly Pakistan were sort of over the hill and bounding away.
1: I I felt uh, England maybe yeah I mean just shows actually how you can get your tactics wrong because they were bowling those two spinners to take up to the second new ball so they didn't exert one of the pace bowlers but you know sessions straight after an interval you know those first few overs are so important when batsmen are uh, are are kind of recalibrating their position and you know getting their innings going again after a a forty minute interval so England definitely got their tactics wrong there and I suppose overall you wonder whether. Looking at the way Pakistan bowled, with that really piercing, potent opening pair of uh, Shain Afridi and also Mohammed Abbas, you know, really going at the stumps, you wonder whether England's attack is a little bit old-fashioned, in that they tend to still go for the court slip court, wicket-keeper, fifth-stump sort of approach. I'm talking really about Anderson and Broad, and while one doesn't want to you know, in any way castigate them or criticise them because they've been such supreme uh, performers for England, I've just looked up the stats here. Uh, Anderson and Broad take their wickets, uh, LBW and Bold, only 33% of the time. So 67% of the time they're getting wickets caught. Yet... An example, Mohamed Abbas, much slower than either of them, but just an absolute maestro at aiming for the stumps, trying to hit the pads or trying to hit the stumps, as, of course, he did to Ben Stokes. He takes his wickets 53% bowled or LBW. So, you know, it's interesting how a, a different approach there, and, of course, if you if you go back to Wazi Makram, Waka Yunis, two great Pakistan bowlers of the past, they really attack the stumps. I just wonder sometimes whether England are a little bit too inclined to bowl that sort of fourth, fifth channel sort of line. And they're getting better, definitely. They're trying to bowl a bit fuller now and broad, undoubtedly, is trying to to hit the stumps. But they still, I think, are too focused sometimes on trying to take the edge and not enough on trying to hit the pads or the stumps. Uh, It's a sensational last uh, spell by the the Pakistan bowlers. But just one other query, I suppose, that that arose from England's batting in this little uh, spell was... Batsmen don't adjust to bowlers bowling around the wicket, whereas bowlers are trying different angles against batsmen, but batsmen like Sibley, like Stokes, uh, even like Root, tend to use the same footwork and the same trigger movements and the same stance for right arm over or right arm round or left arm over bowlers. Stokes, for instance, very open stance, which probably is fine batting against a right arm bowler bowling over the wicket, but right arm round maybe needs to get over a bit more because he does leave his stumps a bit exposed.
0: Stokes was batting out of his crease and actually came down the pitch to mohammed abbas when he was bold. it, it was a fine delivery it, it pitched and, and left him but he was he was on the walk and we we seen him we saw him earlier in the in the summer in that series against west indies where he was on the walk against jason holder and it it didn't really work for him just on mohammed abbas you you talked about uh, you know his high percentage of bold and lbw i mean isn't he not a bit of an outlier in in test cricket i mean that that's that's his USP, if you like, isn't it for Mohammad Abbas? Well, I think he's, know, he's, I he's, he's 18, 18 miles an hour.
1: Yeah, I think, he, but but there's a, you know there's a few others around. I mean, Vernon Philander's the obvious example of someone who also bowls a bit like that, and and he looks to try and get batsman LBW as well. Less so probably bold, but certainly he's trying to hit the pads. And I, you know, it's almost taking a leaf out of the spinners' books. So the spinners have really come into their own since DRS with uh, the chances of getting LBWs and and uh, LBWs overturned and things like that but also now those seam bowlers bowling at sort of 78 to 80 miles an hour just nagging away at the stumps and look at county cricket as well a lot of the successful bowling county cricket are around about that sort of pace so I think it's it's utilizing that the modern uh, attitudes to LBWs which are given a lot more so perhaps you could just say that that England I think Broad is learning this lesson but maybe Anderson a little bit less so England, maybe, just need to heed that thing that they're trying to hit the pads a bit more than perhaps they are at the moment. What did you think
0: of Ollie Pope? I mean, he came out in a really difficult situation 12 for 3 in the sixth over, you know, in very early. And I mean, he played quite skittishly at, at times, but there's a, a positivity about his batting that is, is beguiling. And there's a fantastic duel, really, between him Nasim uh, between him and, and Nasim Shah, and you sort of think you know, two emerging young players. Nasim Shah, seventeen years of age, uh, for Pakistan, and, and Ollie Pope in his early twenties for England. You you, know, you feel you were watching a, a contest of the future. Actually, in that in that last hour of
1: play. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, test cricket at its best as well. You hope that both those players who've been brought up in the the white ball era still pride their performances in test cricket above any other. You hope they will in the future. But certainly watching them now, you know, that is pure test cricket. That is Dennis Lilly against, you know, David Gow or a right-handed version, Alan Lamb or somebody like that. You know, it's absolutely wonderful contest. I mean, it's perhaps a bad example. It should be Imran Khan, you know, a Against Graham Gooch or something. I mean, it's that sort of quality of fast bowling. Obviously, he's only 17, Nazim Shah. I watched him in Australia last winter. You and I were covering the BT coverage of uh, the Australia cricket over there uh, last winter. And Nazim Shah came through very quickly. He only 16 then. He was still bowling nearly 90 miles an hour. And uh, Ollie Pope, uh, yeah, absolutely outstanding player. Looks nerveless, uh, lovely to watch. Amazing maturity for for one so young with so few uh, Test appearances under his belt. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, you feel with those two players and some like it, Test cricket is in, in good hands. Do
0: you think a Pope will have to adjust as time goes on? That he'll have to be a little bit more defensive, a bit tighter at the start of his innings? I mean, he came in at 12-3 and, and played shots and reversed the pressure and it, and, it, and it worked. I mean, England, not they're not out of a hole, but they... That they are threatening more to get out of the hole than they were. I mean, they were in a you know, really deep hole when he, when he came in and he's got them into a position from which, you know, if, if tomorrow did go well for them, they might, might possibly be able to get close to Pakistan's first inning score. But do you think as time goes on, he'll have to tighten up and presumably as time goes on, he might move up the order as well?
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, that's sort of one question within another, in a way. Uh, If he moves up the order, he will have to tighten up. And I think also, it depends, in a way, does he want to be a test batsman who averages 47, 48, plays brilliant cameos, a sort of Kevin Peterson type who changes games and plays incredible innings, but perhaps sometimes gets out when he shouldn't? Or does he want to be a Coley or, uh, you know, a Kane Williamson or, you know, a Steve Smith or somebody like that who never gives it away, who actually Absolutely relentlessly grinds out big scores and averages high 50s. You know, there's a 10 run kind of differential there. If he wants to be the Smith or, you know, the Coley, he is going to have to be a bit tighter. But he's certainly got the ability to be up there with the top 10 batsmen in the world in in a very short space of time. Uh, that's it for today uh, because uh, things are happening around the place and we want to get this podcast out. It's been a very exciting day's play. I hope you enjoy this podcast. We'll be back with a longer look at the third day's play this time tomorrow. Thanks for listening.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.